On this week's edition of New York Now, murders are down and gun seizures are up in New York. We'll have details. Then the state assembly returns to Albany for a special session. We'll tell you what happened. And later, a bill to study the possibility of reparations in New York has passed. We'll speak with a bill sponsor. I'm Dan Clark, and this is New York Now. Today, the Senate majority Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. We talk a lot about crime and public safety on the show. And usually it's bad news, like a big financial crime or a mass shooting. But this week, we have some news that's good. New crime data shows that the number of murders in New York went down last year. There were 790 murders last year compared to 885 the year before, according to the state. And that's a significant drop, but still a lot higher than pre-pandemic levels. At the same time, gun seizures by police were up. Police in New York seized more than 10,000 guns last year, an increase of about 15% compared to 2021, state data shows, and about 4,300 more than in 2020. And extreme risk protection orders are up too. Those are when a judge decides that someone's guns should be taken away because they're either a risk to themselves or others. It's more commonly known as the red flag gun law. And in May, the number of extreme risk protection orders was 927 in New York. That's compared to one year earlier when there were just 118 of those orders. So the takeaway here is that murders are down and there are fewer guns on the streets. And frankly, we don't really know if the two are connected. But Governor Kathy Hochul said this week that that strategy against crime will continue to grow. Uh, shootings are down, um, back down to pre-pandemic levels, and uh, shootings are down 26% in New York City. So these are good numbers, my friends, because it wasn't that long ago we were sitting here watching these numbers creep up and up and up, and we never knew. Are we heading into that 1990s world, which was so terrifying for people living particularly in our urban areas? We'll keep an eye on that data to see if those trends change. Let's get into more news from the week now, including a surprise session at the Capitol with this week's panel. Ashley Helpful is from the Daily Gazette. Elise Klein is from Worldly Broadcasting. Thank you both for being here. Pleasure. Thank you. I want to start with something that did not happen in the assembly this week. It's the Seneca Gaming Compact. We actually covered it on the show uh, about a month ago. It's a really big deal for the Senecas, and I think Western New York uh, in particular. Elise, I want to go to you on this because you've covered it a lot. And I know some of the stations that, that you air on are right in that area too. So what is happening here with the Seneca Gaming Compact? Well, some lawmakers have said the possibility of a new casino in Rochester is presenting some challenges mm -hmm. um, in, in terms of lawmakers wanting a fair compact for, for the Senecas. And I think that that posed a lot of challenges for assembly members getting on board. I mean, the Senate already signed it over a week ago, but it's possible that they'll have to come back for a special session. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. The Seneca Game Compact, uh, as I was reading on it to prepare for a segment from a couple of weeks back that I just mentioned, um, this was first, or the most recent one was 20 years ago. So it's been 20 years. If this doesn't happen, if the assembly doesn't come back, then the compact expires. Is that what happens? Yes, it expires this upcoming December. And okay. so, you know, as the Senate, the Senate and Assembly come back for their original, you know, their next session in 
um, January, I guess it's possible that they could maybe, since it's December 31st, they could kick it to like the first day of session. Um, But it's probably more likely that they'll come back for a special session since it does expire in December. You know, some lawmakers have said they'll be conferencing it and talking about it um, in the off session season. Do we know what the consequences are if that doesn't happen by December or early January? Uh, Not off the top of my head, the consequences, but I, you know, I think it could definitely propose like a lot of challenges and more, you know, um, just push back with with Seneca, but straining on the relationship between Seneca and and the state, which is already kind of a challenge yeah. for um, it. It's already difficult for them, and, and I think that it would be it just would kind of further strain their relationship should that not go through before December thirty first. Right. When they came to the Capitol about a month ago, you could really feel the urgency of this conversation with them. They really were passionate about it and really made it clear that if this does not happen it could be really devastating for some parts of their communities. So that's something we'll have to watch. I mean, if it were up to me, the lawmakers would stay away as long as possible because I'm just (laughs) sick of session right now. (laughs) But I imagine they'll have to come back and address this at some point because letting it expire would not be a good look for them, I don't think, but who knows? The next one that didn't happen, which wasn't as much of a surprise for me, is this coverage for all. It's health coverage for undocumented people under the state's essential plan. It is necessarily legal. It's really up to the state. Some lawmakers say that the, a waiver from the federal government, the feds could pay for it. But it didn't happen. The assembly didn't pass it. Ashley, what do you think happened there? I think there was a lot of discussion behind closed doors with the governor's office. Uh, we heard Tuesday from the governor. She was in Albany. Someone had asked about this. And she was pretty uh, definite in her answer of like, no, the Fed said we can't do this particular thing with this pot of money and Mm -hmm. it needs to be looked at. And I think there just wasn't much um, appetite to get it done, something so complicated and controversial at the end of session that it was kind of just pushed back to next year. Right. It is controversial. Uh, I remember, I don't remember when it was first introduced, either last year or the year before, somewhere during COVID. Um, It was a big deal. And I think that there was almost more momentum in the last couple of years than I saw this year. This year, it didn't seem to to have as much of a, uh, an urgency attached to it with the advocates as last year. They came up a few times this year, but last year I really felt like the energy was there for that. Um, how do you see politics getting in the way of that? I mean, immigration is an issue that is usually addressed at the federal level. We have some power over it here, but when people talk about immigrants, sometimes it gets a little political. Well, I think over arching over all of this is the migrant crisis, the so-called migrant crisis. And I think if that wasn't going on at the same time, if New York State wasn't dealing with thousands and thousands of, uh, I don't want to say undocumented because they are, they're going through the process, but they're displaced. Uh, There's a lot of, we saw a lot of conflict between the upstate and New York City uh, about where to house these, these people and there's a lot of con- there's a lot of con- uh, conflict going on right there, and I think this just kind of was more gasoline on the fire. Yeah, and that's another issue too that has extreme urgency to it in the state, but it doesn't seem like there was much conversation at the Capitol about it in the last few weeks of session. Like it seems like there was a lot in terms of from the governor kind of conversations, but I don't know if the legislature was interested in getting involved. So I think that's something interesting moving forward. We saw in the state budget how uh, they kind of provided some aid for New York City. I think it was a billion dollars. So it wasn't a, a small pot of money, of course, but I'm interested to see where that goes next year in terms of budgeting and, 
at how they look at this. How are they going to house these people? Because in theory, these aren't people that are going to be returning to their countries. They're going to be staying in New York. Um, you know, interestingly, on top of that, we didn't have housing passed this year. Do you think that gives housing more urgen urgency next year? Um, I'm not sure. I think yeah. the housing issue in New York City is pretty urgent already. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I would say really in any urban center and, and in uh, rural areas too. Uh, we covered on the show a few years ago, mm -hmm. Lake Placid had this really big problem with Airbnbs, uh, essentially just displacing mm -hmm. where people could live. Mm -hmm. So they put a moratorium on it and then I don't know where it is right now. I'm wondering if that comes into the conversation. But I want to move on to the third thing, a bill that actually did pass, the Challenging Wrongful Convictions Act. This was a bill, uh, is a bill that would allow uh, defendants or people convicted of a crime when new non-DNA evidence comes up, they could bring it up to the judge and try to get their conviction overturned. I'll be honest with you, Elise, I did not see this one passing. I thought it might be too controversial. Um, you know, one question that people have is, both majorities in the legislature support it, obviously, they passed it. The bigger question now is, will the governor sign it? Do we have any indication? I'm, I think I think she will sign it. I mean, she's been supportive of other criminal justice policies in the past. They passed Clean Slate this year, which was um, big. And I think that this policy is a little similar to that. And so I think, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would be surprised, honestly, if she doesn't sign it. And I, I think what could happen if she doesn't feel comfortable with this bill, what the governor does often when, when they're deciding on bills is they do something called a chapter amendment, which for our audience is something where Basically, they sign the bill and then they agree to change it at a later date as soon as possible. There's nothing really formal about it. It's actually kind of strange sometimes to watch. Uh, so we'll see, I guess, if that comes up. I mean, the conversation about these criminal justice measures centers around politics for me in such big ways. I mean, this is a bill that Republicans did not support because they've been very uh, uh, against all the criminal justice reform measures that Democrats have passed in the past few years. So next year, if this comes up again, either in a, an amended form, if the governor vetoes it, or there's other criminal justice measures, I could see that kind of dynamic playing in there as well. Ashley, what do you think about that in an election year? What happens next year? Well, that was the first thing I was going to bring up is that, you know, one important thing on these criminal justice issues is lawmakers are always looking forward to the next election. Yeah. And we saw, I think we talked about this last time I was here, we saw Hochul get hammered mm -hmm. from her Republican candidate on these issues, on criminal justice. And I can see her being very sensitive to this kind of bill, uh, knowing that she can get flanked because of it. And, yeah. you know, it's, it is a very broad bill. There is some, I think, fair criticism about it or concerns sure. about it from prosecutors who say like if you do this no verdict is ever going to be definite ever again right and there's an argument of whether that that should or should not be <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's uh it's going to be interesting to see how she handles this uh i think it could pass this year or be signed this year only because maybe she wants to get it out of the way yeah, I mean, that's that's actually a very good point. She could sign it this year, let the, the kind of rough news cycle around her go and then escape it by next year. I mean, she has the advantage next year that she's actually not up for re-election, the governor, but the legislature is. So this could be a year where Kathy Hochul really tries to put it to him, you know, really tries to put some pressure on. Because for her, there aren't really any 
political consequences for that next year. Uh, Elise, what do you think about that in terms of looking at next year at the Capitol? I, I think this is the first full legislative session you covered here, right? So yes. next year could be more fun or less fun. I, don't think. <laughs> I think next year will definitely be different and that because lawmakers are up for re-election, that their um, opinions and you know uh, decisions on policies might change and their you know efforts to push for some of those policies might be different. And so conversations in that consequence might be different with the governor. There might be maybe more heated conversations. Maybe mm. it will go a little easier. I mean, it, I guess it's hard to say, but you're right. I mean, the governor, she's not up for re-election, so she doesn't necessarily have that. She doesn't have that pressure. Yeah, the, the politics of next year, I think, are going to be fascinating because we've seen Kathy Hochul and the legislature clash before. This is the first time where they may be able to clash in a way they haven't before. So we will see, but we are out of time. Ashley Helpful from the Daily Gazette, Elise Klein from Lilly Broadcasting. Thank you both so much. Thank you. And you can find more from the state capitol and beyond on our website. That's also where you can sign up for our newsletter. You'll get a quick look at the week's news and a link to the show online. That and more is at nynow.org. But staying now at the state capitol, this Monday marked the third year that Juneteenth was celebrated as a state holiday. And just for those that don't know, Juneteenth marks the day in 1865 when the last enslaved people in the U.S. were finally freed in Texas. But New York has its own history of slavery. It wasn't until 1799 that New York even started to phase out slavery, which was officially outlawed here almost 30 years later. And that's part of the reason for a new bill passed by the legislature to study reparations in New York. And that's defined in a lot of different ways. But it's essentially the idea that because of slavery and the Jim Crow era, descendants of people enslaved in the U.S. haven't had the same opportunities and generational wealth that others have had. So reparations would be to help make up for that. But just as importantly, to acknowledge one of this country's greatest sins. And that could come in a lot of different forms, from money to resources and a lot more. That is what the bill would look into through a special commission. But it also has to win approval from Governor Kathy Hochul, so for more on that, we spoke with the bill's sponsor and the chair of the Black, Puerto Rican, Hispanic, and Asian Legislative Caucus, Assemblymember Mikhail Salaj. Assemblymember Salaj, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course, anytime. So this is a bill that would create a commission to study reparations. Yeah. Um, it is a big topic, but let's start with what the commission would actually be doing to do that. So uh, kind of take me through what yeah. the commission would be doing. Yeah, um, you know, as chair of the caucus, I've seen firsthand across the state uh, the joys of New York State, but also the pitfalls. And so, uh, you know, going to the Adirondacks and learning about Timbuktu, a black community where it was, um, you know, property was given to black members so that they could vote um, in elections because that was a law in New York State. Mm. And so, you know, we decided that there's so much history in New York State that we need to, you know, look at. And so, with this commission, we wanted experts to sit at a table and discuss what reparations would look like in New York State, how we can atone and how we can fix some of these inequalities that are happening in New York State. And so the commission would be charged with looking at what reparations would be like in New York State. So this is just specific 
to New York. Do we have a uh, unique history in terms of slavery and everything like that uh, versus other states? Like, why just look yeah. at New York? Yeah, um, you know, New York State is the financial capital, and yeah. it was the financial capital. And if you look at, um, you know, New York State history, we did abolish slavery early on, but the financial impacts were great. Um, you know, New York banks loaned a lot to plantations so that they can expand their slavery, you know, population, oh, wow. uh, securities, uh, you know, in the sense that many insurance companies that were based in New York State actually insured slaves in case they were lost or killed or stolen. And so we as a state benefited from slavery, from chattel slavery, excuse me. And so it's important that we, you know, look at that history and we see what we can do to fix the inequalities today. So how would the commission be formed? Who gets to sit on it, I guess? Who are the, who gets to pick the people? Yeah. You know, reparation is such a nuanced conversation, I tell people. Um, it's not, it, it, people always think of compensation, yeah. but it's uh, many other elements, uh, restitution, a, a commitment to not doing these atrocities again. And so we want to make sure that people who are sitting on the commission are knowledgeable about reparations. And so uh, right now we're seeking individuals who, uh, who has, who have fought and who have an interest in reparations. And um, we hope that these experts will be able to sit on the commission. And they're appointed by the Senate Majority Leader, the Assembly Speaker, and the Governor. Why not the Minority Leaders? <laughs> and so I, I really want us to focus on the topic of reparations. It's such a nuanced conversation. And so we want to ensure that experts, regardless of their political affiliation, are sitting on the panel. And so my focus was to make sure that we have experts and not, you know, it doesn't matter who is appointed. It really matters who's seated and listening to the concerns of New Yorkers and hearing what they have to do. You know, as, as you said and as I said, this is a very big topic, a lot to explore. Yeah. What's yeah. the time frame that yeah. the commission will be working with? And so uh, we, you know, six months after the, the bill is signed by the governor, the commission is formed. Uh, they have to pick a chairman and a vice chairperson. Um, and then um, they have a year to come up with a report. Uh, they're going to have to do public hearings and, you know, listen to New Yorkers. And we also put in the bill um, provisions where they could work with historically black colleges here in New York State and also research centers so that they can, you know, come up with a, a document that will look at reparations, all the elements of reparations, and see what we can do to bridge the gap. Mm. Is that enough time, you think, just a year from yeah. start to finish? You know, the topic of reparations has been talked about for for a very long time yeah. and so you know we know uh, a lot of uh, the elements that we need to put into that report and so I believe a year to produce a document is uh, enough time and also we can't wait <laughs> you, you know we need to make sure that we're solving these inequalities that are happening in our community and people always say oh you're just looking at chattel slavery yes we're looking at chattel slavery we're also looking at the whole timeline whether it's Jim Crow yeah. uh, you know uh, apartheid you know, uh, you know, all the way down to housing and lending discrimination. You know, we see the whole timeline of this impact and we need to tackle it now. Oh yeah, just in the last few years, I think some major reports have come out about redlining in Buffalo and exactly. on Long Island. Yeah. So this is not something of the distant past. Oh, no, no, no. And I tell people all the time that, you know, if you think about the first suburb, you think about Long Island. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was a housing program that was created for World War II veterans that historically excluded black people. Within the covenants of Levittown, it said that properties cannot be sold to black New Yorkers, black individuals. And so when we talk about these modern ills of, of chattel slavery, people, people can't just think
think about chattel slavery, you have to think how it morphed into these inequalities that we live with even today. So we talked about it a little bit, but what are the possible outcomes of the commission? Like what, what could they recommend for in terms of reparations? Because as I was reading online there, that could mean a lot of different things. Yeah, you know, as we said before, there are many different aspects of reparations. Um, I hope that the report comes out with systematic change because we need change in our society. If you look at all the statistics, black New Yorkers are left behind, whether it's healthcare, housing, education, uh, you know, segregation. You know, there are so many different different parameters that show you that, that black New Yorkers are left behind. And so I hope the report, you know, comes out with information that can charge the legislature uh, with enough, uh, you know, political will and energy to change the system that we live in today. You know, we stand on the shoulders of our ancestors and we hope that we can, you know, put whole the people who, you know, can, you know, trace their lineage, yeah. but also change the system for people who are here now and today. Do you think that should include an apology. A lot of people say that reparations mm -hmm. needs to include a very public apology on behalf of the state or the country by assuming the governor or the president, something yeah. like that. I definitely think so. Um, you know, in our society, we've never looked at racism and inequality in the eyes and, uh, you know, atone for, you know, the ills of chattel slavery. And then we also never really apologize to those people in modern history. If you look at Seneca Village, which mm. was the modern day Central Park, uh, that was a thriving black community that was decimated. It was called blighted. It was, it was you know, deemed inefficient. And those people's properties were taken away. And we've never said sorry. We've never made amends to them. All we did was just put out a placard and said that was sufficient enough. And so, you know, I definitely think an apology for chattel slavery and all the ills is, is definitely needed. And then in terms of what reparations would look like in a more tangible way, do you think that looks like, and I know the commission's obviously going to decide um, or recommendations mm -hmm. to the legislature. Do you think that looks like things like stronger services for people, yeah. or does it look like just direct money payments to yeah, people? Yeah. You know, compensation is a component of it, especially for those who can trace their heritage, their lineage back to um, chattel slavery. Uh, but we really need to change the system. And so, you know, I think that the commission uh, will do a good job at producing a report. And um, I hope that, you know, we can take that information and really change the system, whether it's foster care. Uh, you know, I always go back to housing because that's the most glaring discrimination I that we see I think you're today. right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot that we can do. So, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful the commission can produce something that will impact and change our communities. So for the commission, I think it's important to note that the commission is going to be researching this, doing all the meetings and hearings, and then they're going to come out with a report, yeah. but the report isn't binding, yes, right? Yeah. So it's recommendations for the legislature to consider. Correct. Um, do you see politics getting in the way of that when that happens? Uh, I, I don't really see this necessarily as a political issue, yes. but Republicans voted almost unanimously against it yeah. in both chambers. Mm -hmm. So I could see a situation where we kind of have a political situation and yeah. certain pressures. Do you think that gets in the way? You know, I'm hopeful. Um, the, the bill did gain bi uh, bipartisan support. Uh, so I, I think we have an opportunity to take the information from the report and be able to change the system that exists today. Mm. I'm very hopeful. And so, you know, w we will see. Uh, but, you know, reparations is a conversation that we need to have. And hopefully in the next year or two, we can really flesh out and have a dialogue that talks to the issues. And, um, you know, that's all we can hope for, you know, as a society. I, I think, you know, since uh, the, the, the incident with George Floyd, uh, 
our you know corporations, businesses, uh, government, individuals are now looking to make amends, and we're all looking to work together for equality. So I think there's an opportunity for us to continue that work. There are people who will say, despite what we've talked about, that slavery was such a long time ago, yes. and they're alive today, yeah. and. In theory, any new services or any direct payments would come from public money. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, why should I pay for that? Yeah. What would you say to them? We all benefited from chattel slavery. You know, as we said before, New York State, even the country, um, was built on the labor of black people. And we need to realize that that labor uh, was unpaid. Uh, and also thinking about the generational trauma uh, not only from chattel slavery, but it's different legacies. And, you know, as we said before, you know, um, you know, black code, Jim Crow, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, school segregation, mm -hmm. you know, these policies we live with today. And so to say that it doesn't impact you, it, you know, it impacts you every day, the roads that you drive on, the, you know, school that you, you, you know, go to, the, you know, banks that you bank at, all benefited from chattel slavery. And so, you know, we need to make sure that, you know, all New Yorkers are uplifted in this process. So we've gone through a lot. The last step for this bill before it comes to law, it heads to the governor's desk. Mm -hmm. She has to make a decision to sign it or not. Mm -hmm. Have you had any conversations with her office about whether that looks likely or unlikely? Uh, so, you know, we, we've um, talked to them about the bill and I'm just hopeful that, you know, they, the administration doesn't get stuck into the, the petty politics of, of this conversation and really look at it as a way to really talk about policies and system changes for New York. Because at the end of the day, you know, all the parameters point to the, the huge social and economic gaps when it comes to black New Yorkers. And so I, I think we should use this as an opportunity to really talk about the issues and ways that we can uplift uh, all communities at the end of the day. All right, Assemblymember Mikhail Salaj, Chair of the Black Puerto Rican, Hispanic, and Asian Legislative Caucus. Thank you so much for talking about all of this. Thank you. And as we said, that bill has passed both chambers of the state legislature. That means it now heads to Governor Kathy Hochul for a signature, but so far she hasn't taken a position on the legislation. But as we said, Republicans have. They were largely against the bill. In a statement, Senate Republican Leader Rob Ort said, quote, as millions of New Yorkers continue to leave the state, Albany Democrats prioritized an unworkable and divisive commission to make reparation recommendations that are sure to be unrealistic, unattainable, and outrageously expensive. We'll let you know when Governor Hochul makes a decision. We're out of time for this week. Thanks for watching this week's New York Now. Have a great week and be well. Funding for New York Now is provided by WNET.